morning. Welcome to Grace Community Church this morning. If you haven't met me yet, my name is Teresa Breeding. I am the Women's Ministry Director and one of the teaching pastors here at Grace. And this morning we're going to continue on in our study of the life of David. We are in 2 Samuel chapter 12 in a message that I'm calling, It's Time to Get Up. And yes, that is the word get. So, And if you didn't know that, then welcome to Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm glad that you all are here this morning. Uh, we're continuing on in our study of David. And at this point in our study, uh, David is the king over all of Israel. And um, things have been going pretty well up until last week when he fell to temptation with Bathsheba. That was in chapter 11. And so if you remember, he saw her bathing. He sent for her. He had sex with her. She became pregnant. And... Um, she was a married woman. And her husband, Uriah, he was uh, one of David's mighty men. He was a, a leader in the army. And um, he was a very good and loyal soldier. And David decided that he would send for Uriah and have him come in and send him home with his wife so that he could make love to his wife. And then he would think that the child was his. But Uriah wouldn't do that. He couldn't, with good conscience, come home and be with his wife while his fellow soldiers were still out fighting the battle. And so he wouldn't go. So David had to resort to plan B, which was that he told Joab, the commander of the army, to send Uriah to the, to the front lines where the fighting was the fiercest, where it was the most dangerous, and then to back off and leave Uriah out there to be killed. And so that's what happened. Uriah was killed. David brings Bathsheba into his home and makes her his wife. And the people are unaware of anything. So, so part plan B worked. Um, the people, as far as they know, that baby is Uriah's. And David's just, you know, being the, the hero coming in and, and taking care of Bathsheba and her baby. Until this week. Then we get to chapter 12. Uh, here in chapter 12... Uh, the Lord has sent the prophet Nathan to talk to David. And, David, and Nathan tells David a made-up story. So let's look at verse 1 in chapter 12. It says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. Now, a ewe lamb is a young female sheep. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. That's a little much, right, <laughs> for a sheep. That's a little much. But he's really laying it on thick, because if you remember back in chapter 11, this is very similar. You know, he, he's talking about that the, the lamb ate and drank and slept in the arms of this man, just like he had tried to get Uriah to go home and eat and drink and sleep with his wife. So there's some similarities. And it says that the lamb was like a daughter to him. And the word daughter in Hebrew is bat, which is similar to Bathsheba. It's spelled B-A-T. And so there's some similarities here. But David doesn't pick up on any of those. It says, now a traveler came to the rich man 
But the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who would come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who would come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. So David is really, really angry because Nathan's using this story to help David put things in perspective, right? Because as we all know, it's much easier to see someone else's sin than to see our own. And so he's putting this into perspective for David. And David's thinking, well, how dare that rich man take that poor man's sheep, the only little sheep that he had, that he loved dearly. How dare him take him from this man? And he's, he's angry. It was like the man's pet. And see, and see, David had been a shepherd. And so he, he probably had a soft spot for sheep. And he probably, this probably really struck a chord with him. And he knew that according to Exodus 22 and 1, that if a person stole a sheep, that they must pay back four sheep to replace the one that they stole. And so he knew the law. But he, and so he said he has to do that and he should be killed. Because this is just terrible, and he should be killed. He's more angry than he should be. Because our sin looks worse on other people. It does, doesn't it? Our sin looks worse on other people. It's like, you know, we condemn the drunk driver, but how many times have we had one too many drinks at the restaurant and driven when we shouldn't have? You know, we condemn the sex trafficker, but how many times have we looked at pornography? We condemn the liar, but who in here hasn't told a lie? We condemn the drug dealer, but how many of us in here have, have smoked pot or taken a, a, a prescription drug that wasn't in your name? I mean, I could go on and on. That our sins look worse on other people. It's easier to judge someone else. And so this rich man, he abused his power by taking this poor man's lamb. He did. But David abused his power by taking Uriah's wife. And then he killed a person. That guy only killed a lamb. David killed a person. And in that next verse, verse 7, Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. You are the man. And this is not a compliment. He's not going, you the man, David, you the man. No, <laughs> not a compliment. It's a conviction. It's a conviction. You are that man, David. You took Uriah's wife that did not belong to you. You are that man. Uriah had one wife. One wife. David has tons of wives. He has plenty of wives. Uriah had one that he loved dearly, and David took her. Nathan goes on, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if, if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. He said, I gave you all these things, David. I gave you all these things. If it wasn't enough, if you needed more, you could have asked me for more and I would have given you more. 
What happened here, and we need to be leery of this in our own lives, what happened here is that, that David, he, he forgot about the things that God had given him. And he started thinking about the things that he didn't have. Forgot about what he had and started thinking about the things that he didn't have. And so that, that discontentment gave birth to a temptation that led him outside of the will of God. And see, so we have to be careful of that in our own lives. Husbands, wives, your spouse is a gift from God. They're a gift from God. There was a time in your life that you were tickled to death to be married to that person. I hope that's still the case. But if it's not, then you need to take, a, take some time to go back to when you first met and think about why you fell in love in the first place. Start thinking about why you are thankful for that person. Every day, think about why you are thankful for that person in your life. Because if you forget to be thankful, you'll be, start to become discontent. You'll start to take them for granted. And then you'll start to look at other people and go, well, I wish my wife was like that. Or I wish my husband was like that. Because you're not thankful for what you've got. And when you start doing that, you're treading in dangerous territory. Don't go there. Don't let yourself get there. And it's the same with, with, with all the other gifts that God gives us. Because every, every good and perfect gift is from above, right? Yeah. It's the same with, with everything that we have in life. If, when we stop being thankful for what we have then we start getting tempted to get something else that may not be in God's plan for us, that may, may be outside of his will for us. So we have to be leery of those things because if you're not careful, you'll be surprised at what you could be tempted by. Verse 9, Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? When I read that, I thought, wow, you know, that's, that's kind of harsh wording that David despised the word of the Lord. That, I mean, he screwed up, yes. But that just seems a little much. But if you think about it, it was about his attitude towards the word of God. It was about his attitude towards the word of God. Because this sin with Bathsheba was premeditated. It was premeditated. Okay, Because if you think about it, he, he walked out on the balcony. He saw her. He didn't turn away. He saw her. Then he sent for her. He, or he sent someone to ask about her, to find out about her. And then he waited for them to come back. And they came back and they told him that she belonged to someone else. That she was someone else's wife. And then he sent them back again to get her. And then he waited for her to come back. And then when she came back, he brought her in and had sex with her. There were plenty of times to put on the brakes here. There was plenty of moments where he could have stopped and turned paths, but he didn't because what he wanted was outside of the will of God. He knew that. He knew, he knew God's law. He knew right from wrong, but he chose not to follow God's law. He chose not to follow God in his desires. It was premeditated. It was premeditated, and, and so this sin was a defiance of the word of God. He knew the word of God. He chose not to follow it. So it's about attitude. So I ask you this morning, what is your attitude towards the word of God? Because your attitude towards the word of God will dictate your behavior. Not your knowledge 
but your attitude towards the word of God. Because your attitude towards the word of God will cause you to act on the word of God. Will cause you to live the word of God or not. You know, our attitude towards the word of God should be a reverence, should be, um, should be that it's the authority over our lives. And see, David had taken that authority away from the word of God. He goes on to say, You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, the Ammonites were the enemy. David used the enemy to carry out his mission to kill Uriah. He made it look like an accident, but it was an assassination. And the Lord knows that. And he's saying, you did it, David. You did it. You killed Uriah. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house. Because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. Okay, so now it's saying that he despised God. Not just that he despised the word of God, but that he despised God. Because they're one and the same. If you follow God, you follow God's word. They're they're one and the same. I hear people say all the time, well, you know, I, I love God and I follow God. But there's things in that Bible that I just don't agree with. Well, this is it's not just a book. It's the word of God. Amen. It's the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It's the word of God. And so if you, if you don't follow the word of God, then you're not following God. They're one and the same. If you despise the word, you despise the Lord himself. You can't separate the two. And that's what David did in this situation and God says therefore the sword will never depart from your house and we'll see that play out in the coming chapters because remember David knew God's word and God's word said that if if someone stole a sheep then they had to pay back four sheep to replace the one sheep that they stole it's a fourfold judgment David would pay fourfold for what he did the baby that Bathsheba gave birth to would die His son Amnon would rape his sister Tamar. Jeff's really looking forward to preaching about that next week. Uh, (laughs) Amnon will rape his sister Tamar, and then he will be killed in an act of revenge. Uh, David's son Absalom will overthrow the throne, put them into a civil war. David will have first-hand experience of what it's like to be betrayed by someone so close to you, just like he did to Uriah. So his son Absalom, in that situation, will be killed. And his son Adoniah will take over the throne and be killed because of it. That's, that's four of his sons that will die. One, an innocent child. One, a, a, a perverse man. One, a a money or a power-hungry person and one a murderous person. The sins of the father, the sins of the father carry on to the children. So be careful, parents. Be careful of, of what you're doing because what you do in moderation, your children will do in excess. So we have to be careful of those, what we think is, are those little sins in our lives. They may be small in your life, but you got to get a grip on them because you won't like where that ends up. You won't like where that goes. Nathan goes on to say, This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, 
I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to the one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. And we'll see this happen in Samuel 16:22. It says, So they set up a tent on the palace roof where everyone could see it. And Absalom, which is David's son, went in and had sex with his father's concubines on the rooftop of the palace where it all began. That's where David was when he looked out and saw Bathsheba bathing. Verse 13, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Immediately. See, I love this about David. He screwed up. He sinned big time. But he is still a great example to us. He's still a great example to us because we all sin. The question is not if you sin. The question is, what do you do when you sin? Do you deny it or do you deal with it? Because David, he could have done a lot of things. He could have made up a lot of excuses. He could have cast the blame. He could have said, well, she was out there bathing naked. She knew I could see her. Maybe she could. I don't know. Maybe, but he had a choice to turn away. He didn't have to follow through with what he did. So he was still in control of himself. He could have said, well, if Uriah had been taking care of his wife, then I wouldn't have been able to lure her away. Also possibly true. I don't think so. I think Uriah was probably a very good husband. I think he loved his wife dearly. But it's a possibility. It's a possibility. But she was still a married woman. So he shouldn't have been... He shouldn't have been there anyway or he could have said well you know I didn't kill Uriah he got killed in battle he was a soldier soldiers is they're in dangerous battles every day he knew what he was signing up for also true but we know that King David ordered for him to be on that front line and he ordered for them to push in closer to the city than they normally would and he ordered for them to back off and just leave Uriah out there hanging to be killed so he was in the wrong here he was definitely in the wrong at the very least it was conspiracy to commit murder or he he hired a hitman you know you get 15 to life for that around here these days so he, he was definitely in the wrong But David didn't make any of those excuses. He didn't make any. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. Because he knew that all sin, all sin is against God. And there are no excuses and there are no buts about it. There are no buts in a true confession. Okay, you can't, if you've ever apologized to somebody and said, well, I'm sorry I did that, but you just canceled out the entire apology. You know, but she did this or he did that. No, a true confession has no buts. You know, even if your sin was a result of someone else's sin, let God deal with their sin. You deal with yours. You deal with your part. There's no buts about it. Take responsibility for it. That's what David did. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. And I wonder in this moment, I wonder if he felt relief you know, because David was a man after God's own heart. And he has sinned greatly, and it has separated him from the Lord. 
It, it has come between him and the Lord. And I wonder if in this moment, when his sin is revealed, if a weight has been lifted from him. Because the truth is that David was too close to the world to enjoy God and too close to God to enjoy the world. Pastor Dennis made that statement in our staff meeting this week, and I was like, ooh, I'm writing that down. I got I to use that. I, that is good. That is so good because it's so true. I think we've all found ourselves in this place before. Maybe you're in this place right now. You're too close to the world to enjoy God and too close to God to enjoy the world. It's, it's a hard place to be. Maybe you can relate to it if, if you've ever... If you've ever felt like you're, you just, your way and his way were conflicting. And you just consistently wanted your will over his will. Or if you're just consistently making choices in your life that you know don't line up with the will of God. Or even if you're just consistently unhappy. This might be you. If you're just consistently unhappy. Because I can attest that there was a time in my life when I was doing everything I wanted to do. Everything I wanted to do. I was living for myself. It was all about me. So I had every reason to be happy, but I wasn't. I wasn't happy at all because something was missing. It was God. God was missing. He was the only person that could fill that void in my life. And he was missing. I think, I really do think that David was caught in the middle. And, and that he was weighted down by his sin. And now that it's all out in the open, this, this, this weight has been lifted. And he can face it and he can deal with it and he can stop hiding his sin. Because we all know that you're only as sick as your secrets. Right? Right? We're only as sick as our secrets. That's why the Bible says that we should confess our sins, not only to God, but to another person. A good, strong Christian person in our life that can hold us accountable. Someone that has permission to speak into our lives. Someone that has permission to say, okay, how many days sober have you been now? Or what were you looking at on the internet last night? Someone that has the permission to speak into our lives. We all need that accountability. Someone who can pray for us very specifically and help us to overcome whatever the battle is that we're going through. We all need that accountability partner in our life. And I think that that's what David was, or what Nathan was to David in a lot of ways because he had to tell him some hard things pretty often. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. So he will not receive death. He deserves death. He deserves death. He, he, he caused the death of an innocent man. So he deserves to die. But he won't die. But he won't get off scot-free either. Because forgiveness does not erase the consequences of our sin. Forgiveness does not erase the consequences of our sin. It reminds me of that movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Have you all seen that movie? Where they come up on the baptism... And the guy runs in, and he gets baptized, and he comes up. I've been redeemed. <laughs> that preacher man said that all my sins have been washed away, <laughs> including that Piggly Wiggly I kicked over down in Yazzie. <laughs> and the other guys are just like, 
And Ulysses tells him, well, you know, you may be good with God, but the state of Mississippi is a different story. (laughs) Because forgiveness does not erase the consequences of our sin. Verse 14. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, the son born to you will die. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had born to David, and he became ill. Notice it still calls him Uriah's wife. And he became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood behind him to get him up from the ground, but he refused and he would not eat any food with them. So he prayed and he begged and he pleaded with God. This man that that conquered a giant with a stone... This man that that killed ten thousands, this man that was the king over all of Israel, was broken. He was broken and he was begging God to save his child. And God did not save his child. Verse 18, on the seventh day the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, he wouldn't listen to us when we spoke to him. How can we now tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead? he asked. Yes, they replied. He is dead. Then David got up from the ground After he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request they served him food, and he ate. His attendants asked him, Why are you acting this way? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now that the child is dead, you get up and eat? He answered, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, Who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me. And let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. So imagine, in this moment, I imagine that his attendants are all over to the side like, Oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Like, when the child was alive, he was going crazy. He was losing his mind. Now what are we going to do? The child's dead. Who's going to tell him? I ain't telling him. You t- I ain't telling him. You tell him. and David he notices something's going on over here and so he says is the child dead and they said yes the child is dead and he gets up and he washes his face and he puts on clothes and he goes and he worships the God who didn't answer his prayer and he eats and people are like what is going on here you, the, when the baby was alive, you were going crazy. You were a mess. And now the baby's dead and you just get up and everything's okay? They're like, what, what is up with this? I don't, I don't get this. And David said, you know, I did everything that I could for the child. I begged God to save him. But God cho- chose not to save him. And I have to accept that. I can't do anything else for him. I'll go to be with him someday. But he's not going to come back to me. And so he got up, and it says that he went and he comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he made love to her, and she became pregnant 
with a son, Solomon, who God loved and blessed greatly. And I imagine that the the people were very confused by this. But as I was preparing this message, I really, and this is why I titled it the way I did, I really felt God telling me that there's somebody in this room today that needs to get up. Just like David did, that needs to get up. There's something terrible that has happened in your life. And I don't know if it's because of your sin, something that you chose, or if it's because of someone else's sin that has affected your life. But something terrible has happened to you. And God is saying, it's time to get up. It's time to wash your face. It's time to stop wallowing in it. It's time to stop being the victim. It's time to get up and move forward. God has great things for you. But you got to get up. you got to get up. And I don't know who that word's for, but God told me specifically that someone needed to hear that this morning. It's time to clean yourself up and move forward because if there's one thing that we can learn from this passage, it's that there is a way back. There is a way back. What David did was terrible. And what he went through because of it was terrible. But there's a way back. There's a way back from a failure. There's a way back from a tragedy. There's a, a way back from an embarrassment. There's a way back from a disgrace. There's a way back, but it requires getting up. And that's what David did. He got up, he washed his face, he changed his clothes, and he worshipped God. It says that during this time, or we know that during this time, he wrote Psalm 51. And I want us to read Psalm 51 so we can see David's heart here. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great passion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you, when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, 
and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that a beautiful prayer? I can only imagine how much that prayer pleased God. David is is humbling himself. He's asking for forgiveness. He's asking the Lord to cleanse him from all unrighteousness and to restore their fellowship with each other. That's a prayer that pleases God. That's a prayer that pleases God. He's, he's, He's pleased when this broken man who failed returns to him and worships him. The people, however, are very confused. They were very confused. I imagine that the people are going, okay, so that baby was David's, not Uriah's. And David took poor Uriah's wife, who he loved so dearly, he took her from him and got her pregnant. And then he sent him off to war to be killed in a battle so that he could have his wife. And then that baby died. Serves him right, that baby died. And now he thinks he can just get up and walk into the house of the Lord and worship God? I don't think so. That's people. But let me tell you, God thinks so. God thinks so. According to God, that is exactly where David needed to be. That is exactly where he needed to be, returning his focus to God and getting back with God. And you see, I want you to know this morning, because there's people in this room that you think that you're unworthy of coming into the house of God. And you're afraid to raise your hands in praise when we're singing worship because the person next to you knows what you did last night. And they're going to laugh and roll their eyes that you're in here praising God after what you did last night. But let me tell you, your sin does not make God unworthy of your praise. That doesn't even make sense. He is worthy regardless of what you did last night. God is worthy of our praise. So don't let someone keep you from worshiping, because truth be known, they probably sinned worse than you did, but it's easier to judge you than to judge themselves. Don't let the thoughts of man keep you from the presence of God. Because I don't know about all those perfect people out there. You know, they used to say, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and don't hang out with those who do. I guess I was one of those they weren't supposed to hang out with. But those who are forgiven much love much. And I'm like Bonnie. Bonnie talks about how she can't still stay still during worship because she's been forgiven of so much. That's me. There's times I just want to come out of my skin during worship because I have been forgiven so much. And he is worthy of that praise. 
if he can take a sinner like me and put me right here. He can do great things in your life. But you got to get up. You got to get up. If you've been forgiven much, this is exactly where you need to be. You need to be up here at this altar praising God and thanking Him for sending His Son to die on that cross so that you could be forgiven. So that you could come to Him boldly to the throne of grace and receive His mercy in your time of need. It's exactly where we need to be. In closing today, is that he went and comforted his wife. He went and comforted Bathsheba, partly because she was his wife. Partly because no one can comfort someone like someone who has been through the same thing, right? They've been through this whole ordeal together. I think that he came to love her, that they went through this whole scandal together. And I think that he went to her and he comforted her and he led her back to God just like he had gone back to God because he was a man of God. But no one can help someone through a tragedy like someone who's been through it. I mean, if you think about it, you know, if, you've, if, if you're struggling with addiction, do you want to talk to someone who's read a book about it? Or do you want to talk to someone who's struggled through 20 years of sobriety and they've made it? And they can help you through it. It's the same with someone who's gone through a divorce or the loss of a child or a wayward child or, or, or a, bad, a, a bad doctor's report or an illness. Talking with someone who's been through it is what will help you the most. And if you've been through it, then you need to be helping other people who are going through what you've been through right now. That's God's plan for us to help each other through those things. He's been through this with Bathsheba and he goes back to her and he makes love to her and she becomes pregnant with Solomon. Solomon, who will become the next king of Israel. Solomon, who will be known as the wisest man to ever live. Solomon, whose name means peace. Can there be peace after the most devastating sin in your life? Yes, there can. You just got to get up. Return to Him. Put your focus back on Him. Confess. Repent. Turn from your sin and turn back from God. He's waiting. He's waiting for you to do that. And He is worthy of your praise every step of the way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this message. Lord, I thank you for the imperfect people that you put in that Bible for us to learn about or for us to relate to. We know, Lord, that that if you would take David back, you'll take us back. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that needs to return to you, that they will do that today. Lord, we know that you are waiting and we thank you for being such a patient and loving and graceful God that you would lead things into our lives that would break us and turn us back to you. That you do that in mercy because you love us and you're not going to leave us out there, God. 
Help us to be better. Restore us to you, Lord. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name.